with our, our usual disorganized podcast. So how do you like this one? We're both smoking the same one today, by the way. I was going to say that. Curavari. Kind of tough to get the thing going. Get it going. I think it's because of the thick ring gauge. It's uh, looks like it's close to a 60, probably a 58 or a 60. The ring gauge is how big it, how, how thick, long how thick, yeah. Thick. yeah the, the length they just measure by simple inches. So if it's a 6 by 60, it's a 6 inch long, 60, uh, what, I don't, can't even remember what the, whether it's an eighth of an inch is each gauge on the ring gauge. And then we're drinking uh, Bare Knuckle, which is from somewhere in Virginia. Manassas. Manassas is a local one. <laughs> KO, KO Distillery. This is their straight wheat whiskey. Decided to go local. Yeah, and went with a weeder. Accidentally uh, breathed in some of the smoke through my nose. So this is a polished taste as opposed to a smooth taste. Mm. Yeah, it might be because of the <clears throat> wheat. Because if it's straight wheat whiskey, I guess it's uh, 51% wheat. It's not like <clears throat> with uh, like Maker's Mark, which is a wheat, a wheated whiskey, mm -hmm. but it's a bourbon, so it's still got majority corn. Well, this has a nice taste. It's polished, sophisticated. And can you tell the difference between uh, between it and the bourbon? The one we had last mm -hmm. week. Uh, did we have bourbon last week? So there's a single malt, single malt whiskey with the flavors. Let's see. I took a picture of it to show off everybody because it was kind of nice. This is nice too. <clears throat> it was a bourbon. It was the, um... Crothers. No, no, it was, uh, Reverend. Always? Reverend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one before that was the single malt scotch. Yeah. yeah. And this hard time staying lit.
Yeah, I think it's because it's a thicker ring gauge. It just needs more. Uh, it needs more attention than a thinner one. It happens. <clears throat> so is the uh, airport uh, finally uh, back in full swing, or is it still? It's not about full swing, but it's definitely back. A lot of traveling this week in advance of the holiday. There was a lot of people who traveled Wednesday and Thursday. Today is not too bad. But, yeah, there are a lot of people who are, are traveling. As a matter of fact, when I spoke to someone the other day, uh, they were flying to Cancun because they couldn't get a beach house on the coast. And they fly <coughs> Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia. Could not get a beach house. We rent a beach house. I think I prefer to go to Cancun than any of those places. Yeah. Personally. So. Cancun was their fallback plan? Huh. Well, he wasn't paying for it. Even better. Yeah, so I was like, wow, must be nice. Everything's cheaper in Cancun. Yeah, but they like they like going to the beach. I guess it's I mean they got kids, they gotta travel with kids, pack everybody up. Yeah, but there's beaches in Cancun. Yeah. But you know. So these passport now, but I don't know. I think I'd rather go to Cancun. Cancun, yeah. I guess it's a nice problem to have. Must be nice. But like I said, he wasn't paying for it. Yeah, I think the problem with thicker ring gauges is you have a lot more work to do yeah. on these. It, it does require a lot more puffing and puffing on it. Yeah, more uh, more surface area for airflow. Hmm. Begin to think that the thicker the thicker the cigar. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a good cigar. Yeah, I mean, so far this is not bad. I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's it all depends. I mean, at least it uh, at least it fit into the cutter. <laughs> so I've had one before where it was it too thick to yeah. That was a sad day had by all. No, I just had to get the punch cutter and punch it open. Mm. Yeah, but this this cigar and this whiskey they go well together. It's a good match. Mm. I wonder if people like wine. They look for wine and cheese to have a good pair. Yeah. Well, they say the full-bodied whiskeys tend to, I mean, full-bodied cigars tend to go better with whiskey or dark rum than, than they do with, like, a vodka or a gin. It's nice to be able to 
Yeah, get on the deck and about all the rules of health. Yeah. Good health. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, half of health is just doing what you want. Yeah. In Virginia this week, it is now legal to have to possess pot. But not sell it commercially, right? Unless it's for medicinal purposes. Are we about to see a sudden rise in prescriptions for... Uh... I'm, just, I'm thinking how we back in the prohibition days where you could get alcohol was illegal but you could buy it for medicinal purposes yeah and they were writing up for any any reason at all yeah of course mm. uh. so I thought I find out hilarious they were doing the same same thing oh I feel stressed coming on because yeah I, don't know. I, I tell you there are two uh, vodka martinis uh, one, once in the morning once in the evening yeah Call me if you have any questions. And I was talking to a guy at my other job today. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm exploring commercial opportunities. I was like, oh yeah? So what kind of opportunities are you looking at? I was thinking more like you know, IT stuff or computer stuff, you know, internet, internet stuff. No, he was thinking about how to open up a dispensary. Hmm doing research so you can so in two years when it becomes legal to buy it he'll be like I'm ready to go man here I am well yeah I mean I know at the federal level because it's still illegal a lot of banks won't touch it which puts these places in a bad spot because they're holding on to large large amounts of cash because they can't put it in the bank so what do you do with it try to do yeah, where well you pay your employees in cash and write a hand write a pay stub. Yeah, cash based business. That's how they used to do things. Yeah, but it does make it difficult, you know, to get loans and stuff. I guess. Get loans, and you know, even you become a target for people to try to rob you. See this? <coughs> the mine is starting to crack in different places, which is not good. Yeah, mine's got a crack right there. No, that's just Rachel. an imperfection. And it is a plant, but they're not supposed to crack. And we'll see, it hasn't fallen apart yet, so maybe it's just minor imperfection. Well, we're probably going to find out in a few decades from now that we made a lot of mistakes when it came to uh, these drug uh, policies. Maybe you know? you're right. Just like we found, made a lot of mistakes with the alcohol. It gave rise to organized crime. Well, organized crime is in existence anyway, but... Yeah, well, not just for organized crime, but also in terms of, you know, the... 
the stuff that we have is legal by prescription, which is usually opioid-based stuff for pain and anti-depression medication and stuff like that. Um, some places that have more legalized regimes have found that, you know, things like magic shrooms and um, obviously marijuana are more effective at handling pain and depression than some of these prescriptions. Not for everybody, of course, but for some people. You know, it, I guess, was it you who were saying about the Puritans? They came to America because they didn't want people to have a good time or something like that? They came to America because they were getting, being persecuted by the Anglican Church, but but when they were here, it was, uh, you know, the, the Puritan Protestant ethic, which is, you know, people shouldn't have fun. And you find it, I mean, even among people who are, you know, more uh, libertarian-minded, who tend to worship hard work, you know, like, if, if people didn't have to work, society would fall apart, and I, I don't happen to agree with that. I think that, you know, we do want cheap stuff and we do want uh, people to work less because it lets them figure out what's important to them. I think, um, yeah, I think the problem is that if people have too much time in their hands, unless it's constructive, it just goes into trouble. Maybe, but I mean, I think that, you know, work for work's sake because that's what a lot of people kind of have this attitude you know when you point out that if you don't have free trade then stuff becomes more expensive you know you, you end up paying more for your electronics I mean a TV was how much money in 1970 more than 300 bucks and, three, and 300 bucks was more money back then yeah yeah yep so, I guess getting back to... So, so my point in all of this is that, yeah, stuff is cheaper. You know, and yes, some people, though, that romantic story about we had people had jobs and they don't have them now is kind of missing, missing the fact that a lot of people didn't have work back then either. But even if you, even if you thought it made sense to pay people to do unproductive stuff like making TVs that can be made cheaply someplace else or made cheaper by robots. <clears throat> you know, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I know, um... Things were a lot more affordable back then, too, I mean... No, they were affordable for people who could afford them. And some things were more affordable. You know, housing may, may have been more affordable because people were allowed to build more housing and there was lots of different housing options. Boarding houses existed. Boarding houses are now viewed as an eyesore and a community blight. Where all these people are going to go live, who gives a shit, right? It's not my problem. If you can't afford a, a, a studio apartment by yourself or, or be likable enough to have somebody want to live with you, then... <laughs> There's something wrong with you? <laughs> then, then, you know, we don't give a shit what happens to you. Go, go fuck off, you know, jump in the Potomac. Well, yeah, I think problem, too, with boarding houses is, uh, 
like down here you had 20 guys living in a house that's more like a flop house because there's people who are day laborers that don't want to don't they're just here to make some money and send it back home and don't really care you know they don't have their families with them but the thing is it's not like somebody could just go and build a flop house someplace else you know what I mean? Like they, they're they're stuck trying to turn a, a, a home in a, in a housing community into a flop house because they don't have any other choice. Yeah, it's a bunch of guys living together, trying to you know, do the right thing. Yeah. So it, it's interesting though that there's an article that your brother sent. Facebook about uh, which brother my my the the middle one or the youngest one? one? No. Apparently in Idaho, the Boise, everyone's up in arms about affordable housing because affordable housing drives down down the <laughs> values of the housing. I think that's a myth. I think that's a myth that people hold on to because they think it makes sense even though it doesn't. Yeah. First and foremost, I mean, the affordable housing policies are a poor substitute for... They're a poor substitute for what really, if you really care about helping people who are less fortunate. Assuming you, you thought that that was a worthwhile government policy, ca direct cash aid is more is more workable than trying to figure out how to make something affordable. God forbid you think give money to the people. Yeah, that's the attitude, but it's not the reality. Reality is it works. Yeah. I mean, look at the cash payments that people got for the last stimulus. Well... There's other issues with that, but I mean, I'm saying that if you wanted to, if you believe that there is a possible government policy towards helping people, direct cash benefits are better than trying to manipulate whatever. Well, we have some of that. Um, yeah. <coughs> cash grants, what about them? You're talking about cash grants, the people did, the uh, Republicans used to tout direct grants to states, which is kind of like a cash direct payment. Right. And the states can put it where they want it. Same idea, except you're still getting it from one entity to another. Well, the idea behind that is that the states would know how to spend it better. But that's not necessarily true. Maybe, but the odds are that the federal government is just too big to figure out. <laughs> the federal government tends to put a lot of caveats on Yeah. But, anyway, about this affordable housing issue in Idaho, with what's going on with it? People are just uh, upset about it, or yeah, they're like, because it's, you know, it's driving down the value of some of the houses. Because let's face it, you know, you, you got like ten houses, 
three of them up for sale. One is 160,000, the other one's a 300. Yeah, but the only people who can afford that are the people, only people who can get the 160,000 house are the people who can qualify for the uh, affordable housing. Hmm. Even if, even if there was no qualification process, you just said first person gets here, gets it. I mean, okay. I mean, everybody else doesn't have to offer their house for that much money. They can do whatever they want. You know, if somebody really wanted to do a, a fuck you to his to his neighbors and list his house for you know <coughs> whatever. Say money was not important to them, and they said, "Hey, I'm going to list my house for five bucks." What you think you should just step in and say, "No, you can't do that." Fuck you! I can do whatever I want. I guess the whole idea is, you know, that the idea is behind uh, it's a myth that you should have your wealth locked into your house. That that, that that should be a significant portion of your of your wealth. Whereas in a matter of fact, if you had a different approach to it and people were spending less on their homes because they weren't they were just a place you lived, not something that you looked at as a, an investment. <coughs> you know, you, 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 you spruced it whether you owned it or rented it is kind of immaterial. Owning it means you probably just have a little more rights about usage of it, sprucing it up the way you want, blah, blah, blah. But if you didn't view that, if you weren't spending so much money into it that it became an investment, and you instead put that money in the stock market where the economy would, would be able to use those that's resources. A it's not a gamble. If you look at the last hundred years, the average return is somewhere between 7 and, and 12% but then year over year. Yeah, but if you're putting your money in there for 40 years, it's going to go up. Well, I guess the key is, though, is that knowing when to put it in and when to take it out because the Great Recession of 2007... Yeah, wiped out some people's portion of their, of their, of their retirement, but by, the, by 2012, it had recovered. That's if you, were, if you were young enough to take advantage of that. What if you... If you had a half a million dollar retirement account, in 2008, you were not ca planning on cashing in all half a million of it. You were you were not going to live off of all of that. You were just going to take out what you needed to live for that year. The, the the point is is that people would be better off investing, even if you did, even if we had sound money, where you know you put ten bucks under your mattress, it's still ten dollars twenty years from now, right? Even if you had that, you'd be better off. I suppose. I guess. Yeah. This is people are so tied up in their entrenched interests. You know, the, the, the best solution, honestly, would be upzoning everything so that everything was mixed use so that the people who own, if you owned a plot of land and, you know, you could subdivide it if you wanted, it, wanted to do so, it becomes more valuable. It's more valuable as an upzoned piece of property because people, somebody could use that buy that from you and, and put a condo up, put apartment buildings, put a commercial warehouse, do whatever they wanted. Mixed use, they could have business on the bottom, condos on the top. That's going to be more valuable than a single family home, no matter how much restrictions you have on new home construction. Well, I think people, do you think people are going to look twice at condos, especially what happened in uh, Florida, Surfside, 
condos. It can happen anywhere. A house can collapse. In fact, a house, most people, they, they're probably living in a, a 20, 30, 40-year-old home and they haven't checked the electrical. They haven't checked, you know, the, the foundation of the house. They haven't checked all of these things. Lots of shit can go wrong. I, you're much less likely to have something go wrong in a, in a situation where a condo is there than somebody who just hasn't checked their electrical in 30 years. Whether my house collapsed or it burned to the ground, I'm still homeless. I'm still screwed either way. Uh, but I, okay. But the third side. Yeah. Same thing even with a townhouse. There are townhouses in this community that are approaching 30 years old. <clears throat> How many people do you think are willing to spend 10 grand to upgrade their electrical system? Yeah. You're right. Unless they're planning on selling it and that's a condition on the home sale. That's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So yeah, what happened sucked, but it could happen at any time to anywhere. <laughs> you know, one irresponsible condo management company doesn't uh, negate the idea behind, you know, you can have mixed-use development, upzoning. People's property values will go up because <clears throat> it now becomes a thing that the person who buys your property doesn't have to keep it as a residential place. They can do whatever they want with it. I don't know, I think it's an interesting problem because you've got people who got to provide a place to live. And otherwise you're going to have people who are commuting two or three hours to work. Right. But that's how how upzoning becomes a, a benefit. You get more more people able to live in a, in a smaller area. People who are more senior on the <clears throat> on the management chain. Who you know, when, when you're 22, you don't mind living in a in a studio apartment or a, a two bedroom apartment with a roommate, <clears throat> right? But when you're 32, yeah, you you can move a little bit further out and commute because you're probably not even going to the office that often. Or you're making more money that you can afford a residential place that's in closer to where you live. Well, the guy who runs the rec center, who I work at, lives in one. Yeah. It's a long way to go. your life too because if you live in Warrington you're spending 45 well, 45 minutes to 50 minutes commuting back and forth to work that's not too bad of a commute but like Winchester yeah but number one depends on what you're getting for that I mean you imagine if you know you're somebody making 200 grand a year working in Arlington and you live in Winchester, maybe that's a trade you're willing to make. There's more money in the bank account. You can do more things. 
Exactly. But when you have people making, say, 50 grand doing that same commute, that becomes a little less easy to justify. Especially if you're having, you know, like a 24-year-old who's just, you know, second job out of, out of college, and you're having them drive two hours each way to work, that's untenable. Yeah, because they're not spending the money in the neighborhood. Right. But again, nobody cares about them because they don't... Number one, they're looking to move into the new community. They don't already live there. <coughs> and they don't have a lot of uh, voting power as, as or, or political clout. They're not the ones showing up to meetings and making a ruckus. They're not the ones... They don't have the money to make a political action committee. But is that changing with... Uh I hear a lot of the younger people starting to vote more. Yeah, but even if they're starting to vote more, they still don't have the political clout. It doesn't change the fact that the, the answer to the problem is simple and just, you know take the power away from the zoning boards and, uh, you know, let it go that way. I wouldn't have think that this would cause more fire than, a, than beef. I think it's because I haven't cleaned the grill off. Mm. Which I probably need to do tomorrow. Plus it still has those faulty deflectors, right? Yeah. Which are, who made this grill? What company? Grillmaster. Grillmaster. Well, they should, uh, they should hook us up with some replacement, uh, properly functioning, uh, deflectors. Are they still in business? Yeah. So, maybe the next grill I buy, I'll do more research. Hmm. Speaking of which, I, and, uh, you know, I, Costco has a wood chip grill for three thousand dollars. <laughs> a thousand bucks. Yeah, probably, yeah, I imagine. And I was like, I'm looking at it. And I said, okay. Not that I buy a wood chip grill, but okay, it's Costco, and they're known for value. Yeah. But then I go to Harris Teeter, and they got the same wood grill for five hundred bucks. And I thought to myself... Because Costco's trying to make up money for those cheap hot dogs somewhere. Well, Speaking of smooth, I know the smooth was not the uh, word we were using. This bottle is extremely smooth. There's no, there's no rough lines on it. It's just very, like... It, the term is polished. Uh, yeah, yeah. Polished. I don't know. The glass makers that made these, you know... Sophisticated. Has a sophisticated look to it. And I like this. This is like, this is a smooth tasting. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's good. It's a good weeder. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't have a kick like some of the other ones do. Well, it's only 45% 90 proof, so. Well, what I mean by kick, I mean, you know, it's something you can sip and enjoy and not fall on your feet on after the second glass. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Once you got the cigar going, although it is burning unevenly, mm. but once you get the cigar going, it's a nice smoke. Yeah. 
I wonder if that's because of all the imperfections and, cra and cracks that I saw in mine, because I had the same problem. I've had to touch it up a couple of times. Um, maybe you should try to you should try to touch yours up a little bit too. Sometimes these they have to be touched up a little bit. AI can business. How's that booming? No. I mean, is it always tough. Be a time where you're going to have how as a computer? It's not there yet. A lot of things are difficult, especially if you're dealing with voice. You know, as anybody who's dealt with their Siri or their Google AI, you know, Google Assistant or whatever. Sometimes it doesn't understand what you're saying, if you're outside, if you're on a, a really noisy um, environment. It's not always going to understand what you're saying. This is an interesting question. Maybe you can probably haven't thought about it, but computers only make decisions based on information that's in, that has been put in before. Yeah. Okay, so what if it encounters a problem that's never encountered before? Does it like shut down? Does it no, like I mean, it depends on the computer. If it doesn't, it depends on the program. So some will, will just say, hey, I don't know what you're asking. Um, could you please rephrase? <clears throat> they may say, you know, I don't understand what you're saying, but you may fi find these articles, you know, useful to you. They'll, they'll pick from like the top three or four you know, most clicked resources that people tend to ask for, and they'll just give those, give them those things. They may, um, they may say, you know, we'll have to escalate to a live agent. That's because, you know, eventually AI is going to be on its own. I think that's a long way away. Right now, I mean, it does a lot of different things, but being on its own, I mean, the, the big companies like Microsoft and IBM and Google, you know, their their platforms for AI is really like intent focused. So, you know, if you're a bank and you want to have a, a um, you know, a, a chatbot that will interact with customers and a customer may ask how much money do I have, right? You have to kind of program that into the into the software to know that how much money do I have is the same question as what is my balance, right? So you have to program that ahead of time. It's not going to understand that. You know, the company I work for has so it understands those questions. You don't have to constantly feed stuff into the system. Yeah. I just remember the 
couple of weeks ago there was a story about how they have um, the Turkey or Italy has these fire and forget drones. Yeah, that's a different. And that's kind of scary in itself. Yeah. Now you have to imagine too that there's a lot more resources being pulled poured into autonomous drones than there are autonomous customer service chatbots. You know, service is a net uh, a net cost for most businesses. They don't look at it as a way to kill someone or get more revenue. And governments don't have to worry about attracting customers because their customers are captive audience. You have to pay no matter what. Because that's a, to me, that's a kind of a nightmare scenario. Of course it is, but they don't care. Because I can, you know. It's nightmare for a lot of reasons. It's nightmare because, you know, the, the drone problem was already a nightmare because it made, it made war cost-free for the country waging the war. Well, the problem with drones is, yeah, I got, like, New York City gets attacked by a drone. Anybody could fire a drone. It's not a nation state, so you can't hold them accountable for it. Yeah, but not only that, but for the, the country, you know, the U.S. Can, can wage drone warfare without having to, you know, its own soldiers don't have to be committed to the field. It's like war by proxy. Just another form. Yeah, exactly, which may make it more attractive to wage war and kill people. Because you don't have to worry about, am I making the right decision or not, because there's no cost. There's no coffins coming home with a flag draped over it. And anybody who resists, you can easily label as some kind of terrorist or ne'er-do-well. Or a liberal Hank, Hank, uh, pansy. Yeah. Basically. Which, yeah, even the civil libertarians, they're not speaking out about the judgment that are... Well, they are, just the ones that are, are depicted as pro-Trump, pro-Russia stooges, and that's why, you know, if you're if you're against the wars, you're some kind of Putin puppet. And the only, only reason you could possibly be against the U.S. entanglements is because Russia's paying you to do so. Well, Afghanistan, I, I see this, this, the same scenario unfolding in Afghanistan as unfolding in Vietnam. And that is that the power, the power, the power that we're supporting, that the, and I quote, democ democratic, yeah. they don't have a seat at the table. And that's one of the issues I had in Vietnam. Yeah, it's, of course. The so, only difference is we spent more time in Afghanistan than we did in Vietnam. Did we? <laughs> 20 years. We spent 20 years in Vietnam. Eh, I guess it depends on where you start the counter. Because when the French pulled out, we We sent in. advisors in. and Yeah, but anyway, the, your, the point, though, is, is largely correct. That, you know, it's the same, same mistakes and they're going to end up with the same situation. And I think we're right to pull out because Afghanistan, as you and I have talked about, tends to be the graveyard of civilizations. Yeah, not only that, but what we're expecting to get out of it. Yeah. I mean, you've been there 20 years. Is another 20 years going to really make a difference? 
And that these people in the Afghanistan, it's a different culture, different mindset. Just like yeah. Well, it's hard to it's hard to tell someone we're gonna give you freedom whether you like it or not. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like making a kid eat his vegetables. Like, how often does that work? It's good for you, but yeah, we get reset. It's good for you. Yeah, don't mind the fact that we're you know taking these natural resources back home. Don't 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 mind us while we do that. It's really about your freedom and democracy. But the problem with Afghanistan is we don't really understand. And it's like Yemen. And, and your wife and I talked briefly about Yemen. It's very tribal. It's guy, a lot of it, yeah. The guy who has the most cash with the most guns is the guy who's top dog. Yeah, and not only that, but, you know, how are you going to... You know, the, the how the West largely <coughs> became a liberal society is... Largely, I mean, it's not really known how that happened. I mean, it, it, it's it, there's a lot of guesses, a lot of theories and thoughts, but nobody really knows how things developed. I mean, they developed in a particular place in a particular time, recreating that someplace else and saying this is what's going to happen. The norm for human history is not a liberal society. That's not the norm. The norm is much more violent, much more... Um, you know, uh, winner-take-all type of situation than it is, you know, a liberal environment. Oh, like laws and courts. That's, that's kind of a new invention. Holding, holding the public officials accountable. Uh, I mean, not only that, but just, you know, I mean, not living at the whim of a, of a king or a monarch of some kind. I mean, there were places and times and places where you know, the, the, the Bronze Age, for example, where you did have maybe a more pluralistic type of society. But but that's not the norm. One of the podcasts I'm listening to is, uh, we were talking about England and Charles I. And when he was beheaded, it really stuck chord because for the longest time you had this the monarchy was handpicked by God to rule everybody. Yeah, nobody talks about that one either. They always talk about King Louis in, in France where they killed uh, him and uh, Marie Antoinette, but they never mentioned the, the, the British, uh, the, the English Civil War. Which was pretty, a lot more violent than France. I mean, comparatively speaking, yeah. And maybe laid the groundwork for that one. And Oliver Cromwell didn't he convict him of his own excess? No, I mean he he didn't pay any consequences in his life. But after he, oh he died he died naturally, right? Mm-hmm. And then when the monarchy was restored, they had his body exhumed and uh, rigged up on the town square for public display, as you know. Persona non grata. But yeah, and in lot and we, we hold the Magna Carta up as as a symbol of liberal thought and stuff like that. But actually it only pertained to the royals. The noble nobility, yeah. Yeah. 
<coughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of, you know, <clears throat> liberalism is not the, the norm in, in human history, and, you know. And that, you know, we don't talk about it, but um, the Declaration of Independence, if you think about it, was really, I mean, all men are created equal. That's kind of a revolutionary thought, if you think about it. Yeah. It is. And it was apparently too revolutionary even for the men who wrote it. But, um, I don't know, I think, um, I go back to Iraq and, 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 and the, the experiment we had, we tried to, someone once said that democracy never is imposed from an outside force. Yeah. Some might. Some people point to Japan or Germany, and they say, "Well, look at that. That worked out." But they already had uh, a semblance of it. You might need a relight. Already a semblance of it, especially in Germany. Even if you wanted to use Fran uh, Japan as a as an example, I mean, Japan is one example, and you know, many. Yeah. But I think Japan recognized that it needed to. Well, that, I'm sorry. Their population is a lot more smarter than other people. Maybe, although that's a very low bar to clear. <laughs> Present company accepted. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But I mean, if you think about it. Which is a depressing thought, because I, I don't consider myself a, a, an extremely intelligent person, but obviously I'm in the, you know, top percentage of people in the world, which is kind of a depressing thought, because I'm like, well, geez, if I'm not that smart, and I'm smarter than most people, how, how bad are things out there? Well, if you look at what's going on in politics in the United States, you're right, it's a low bar. Yeah, although that's predictable. I mean, <clears throat> you know, politicians can't bequeath their their <coughs> their office to their heirs, so they have no long-term incentive to, you know, be good stewards of, of whatever it is that they're doing. But I wonder if that's a lot had to do with culture, because one of the things I admire about George Washington, and I know you think he's a bad guy. I mean, but I mean, I just don't think he's special. That's all. But his eye and Franklin and John Adams—they looked at their legacy and they were like thinking, "What do I want the future generations to look at me as?" Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. looking at the legacy. Whereas this current crop of politicians is—it's all about today, not about tomorrow. Yes, but there's also a bigger pie to be worried about today than there was back then. You know. <laughs> Goes back to be, it's good to be king. But. Spider-America, besides all his faults, and there's a lot of them, you can be 
you can start out in life with nothing and be somebody. Yeah, I mean, it's always hard to tell, you know, whether what's the best place in the world or anything like that. Um, you know, I think my my gripes with this with this country is just the the attitude that you know you can't do any wrong and whatever we do is right and the kind of uh, an almost Lord of the Rings view of the world that you know what we want is what's best and everybody else has to kind of fall in line and an, and an unhealthy deference to uh, power and authority exceptionalism of course yeah so what does what does American exceptionalism mean to you the idea that you know we're we are special unique among nations in a way that no other country is unique and what we tend to do is for the best for other people. And everybody else is, you know, either evil or looking out for their own self-interest. But the United States is, you know, a unique force for good. I think America has the right idea. It wants to do good for people. I mean, but we get lost in the methods. Not only the methods, but the limitations of what's possible. Yeah. You can't, you know, there are things that just can't be done by sheer force of will. No matter how good you think you are or how you know hard you try or how bad you think other people are. You just can't. Someone once said that my generation, the baby boomers, is the first generation that confronted the limits of what is possible. Yeah, I guess in terms of Vietnam and stagflation and all that stuff. Energy. Because in the 50s, energy was unlimited. We, we, there was, anything was possible in the 50s. Well, I mean, a lot of people look back at, you know, the 50s and 60s as like, you know, we just need to go back there and say, oh, you know, people... People could, with a high school diploma, do X, Y, and Z and all this stuff. And it's like, first of all, the technology was much different. But also, you know, the rest of the world, Europe committed suicide twice in the first half of the 20th century. Yeah, true. And the rest of the world was just not developed enough to, to really compete with the United States. And I think... United States was viewed as a savior because they saved Europe in World War One, saved Europe in World War Two. Yeah, and they were the only ones left with any kind of productive capacity. So everybody, you know, so the assumption being that, you know, this kind of thing was going to go on forever. But people aren't going to just stay unproductive forever. So. Not realizing that resources are unlimited. That's part of it, yeah. And, of course, you know, other things. Think about the American experiment, and you think about the small towns in New England that have 
town. It's because maybe why you're why you're puffing. Maybe out, who knows? It's out, we'll just. We've been thinking about towns in New American exceptionalism, thinking about the towns in New England who have individual towns um, are self governed and they meet. That's unique. Yeah. But, you know, maybe that could be recreated someplace else. Well, like we have um, HOAs here. Yeah. Much of we bellyache about home ownership and HOAs, and they put in, like, you have to have a certain call on your door, for God's sake. Which I have to, I have to commend my, my brothers and neighbors who uh, painted his door some weird color. I think he did it in defiance of the homeowners. <laughs> Maybe. You know, I think if, if they were only worried about reminding people to cut their grass or maintaining the pool and the public grounds, I think people would have much less of a, a problem with it. Yeah. Of course, also, I think in a lot of places, the the state or the local governing authority doesn't let a new place get built unless they agree to have a homeowners association. It takes, a lot, it takes them off their plate. I mean, homeowners association are responsible for the side streets. Yeah, exactly. It takes off money, takes the yeah. If that was different, then, you know, who knows? I think um, July 4th, you know, really think about the American exception. What does it mean? What does it mean to be an American? And I think it's not fireworks, it's not, you know, um, not fire, it's not fireworks, it's not mom, mom and apple pie and baseball, it's what does it mean to be us and our role in the world and in, in, in civilization and here in the States. And realizing we've got problems, but, you know, one of, one of the things about American democracy is that we do make progress, it's incremental, but progress is made. I mean, if you think about it, no place else in the, in the world, like, like I said before, a guy can start with nothing and be somebody. Every place else in the world, especially England, India, you got class. Yeah, it's, it's true, although Pointing out other people's flaws doesn't let you off the hook for any kind of shortcomings. I agree. I agree, but think about the strength. Think about what makes us unique as a country. Depends on who you ask. 
I mean, we have, yes, we have a lot of problems with civil rights. <laughs> we have a lot of problems with voting rights. But, a lot of problems with killing people overseas. Well, that's another story. But you think about in a hundred years, people had the right to vote. Yeah, it took a lot of fighting. We're still fighting over it. But the idea that one person has one vote. Cynic might point out that, you know, maybe that's because the votes don't matter anymore. Votes do count. Maybe. The last election particularly, I mean, we've got one Yahoo who's claiming victory over 70 million votes and the other guy got 80 million votes. <coughs> in, in, in Arizona, it was decided by, well, Georgia was decided by a thousand votes. Looks like we got people uh, lighting off firecrackers over there. Well, we got about two minutes left. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna close this with. I want people to think about what it means to be an American and what what is acceptable about America. Because despite our faults, we made a lot of progress in, in a short amount of time. Yeah. You know, we'll see. You know, uh, I guess on that note, we'll uh, we'll adjourn for the day and let everybody else have a happy uh, July Fourth. <laughs>